This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And today we're going to talk about Amazon. And you might think to yourself, wow, they're actually talking about something while it's still relevant. And that's true. We usually take a long time and sit on it and ponder and read long think pieces and talk amongst ourselves. But in this case, we've already pretty much done that because we'd already made up our mind about certain Amazon practices several months ago, and then the rest of the world caught up to us. So, like, it looks like we're on the ball, but really, like, we were actually ahead of the ball. Yeah. And and now everyone's caught up, which means they're going to be way ahead of us again soon. Very soon. But that's okay. We win slowly here. Very slowly. So, we are talking about the Amazon article that everybody has been talking about. The New York Times expose of borderline abusive to downright abusive labor practices in their white-collar workers' offices. One of the things that we're going to tackle on this is that the response has been pretty mixed overall. On the one hand, there have been a fair number of responses from current and former Amazon employees that say, no, that's not my experience at all, including one that was a letter from the very top from Jeff Bezos. We'll get to that one. Trust us. Mm -hmm. We have thoughts. As well as some that said, yeah, that's been my experience too. You should watch out. As well as a few that have said, well, yes, these are real problems. But maybe they're not the most important problems you should be thinking about with regard to Amazon or Apple or Walmart or any large company like this. And then there are some other people who think this is great. Yeah, there are people who think that the way Amazon is doing it is basically the way Amazon should be doing it and the way everybody else should too. Which we have some issues with. (laughs) Just a couple. On a variety of levels. (laughs) Yeah, just a few. So I think we start with the, the base level here. We think that Amazon's white-collar business practices just completely disregard any notion of work-life balance. This is almost across the board uncontested. Even people who say, I like working for Amazon, acknowledge that they work nights and weekends. Like This is (laughs) something you can do if you want, but this is on its face a corporate culture that has no concept of work-life balance whatsoever. Right. The the most strident response from an Amazonian who wasn't Jeff Bezos was a guy who said, I haven't worked a night or weekend that I didn't want to in the last 18 months that I've been here. But those that I didn't want to words are really important. Yeah, it doesn't if, mean that you didn't do it. It doesn't mean you didn't do it. It means you didn't do any you didn't want to. And if you are in a culture that is strongly encouraging that, well, let's just say that back in what I think was episode 2.01, where we said you can't have it all and talked about family and the importance of family in these things. Well, you can go listen to that episode to hear what we think of companies in general that have this attitude. And... Yeah, it's not good. It, yeah, I, I just ran out of words because it just makes me so sad for entire company cultures that are built. And and we should be careful here. It is very clear from some of these responses that these things do vary team to team. And we should also right. note that these are not Amazon-only problems. They're clearly also right. problems in other major tech companies like Google and Microsoft and perhaps even more than in any of these, Apple. Right. 
we're ragging on Amazon in part today because it's in the news, but these things are applicable to, and therefore our critiques should be applied to a much broader swath of tech companies than just Amazon. Right. And we've talked about some of these things before, and now we're going to hit on them in specific ways that we perhaps haven't touched before because we haven't had any arguments to argue against. <laughs> We've had mostly straw man arguments, not by dint of purposeful logical fallacy, but nobody was writing about the stuff we were talking right. about. Well, now we have all of those in hand, <laughs> and so we are ready to talk. And so the first thing that we need to note is that there are people who like working a lot. And if you are single and you want to do this with your life, there is no one stopping you. You can do this. There is a work culture for you. We think it's bad for society on the whole to adopt this sort of stance towards its workers. Mm -hmm. But on an individual basis, people make individual choices based on the peculiars and particulars of their own lives. So on a one-to-one level, we're not saying you shouldn't do this full stop. I can see reasons why you would do it. I think it's bad. I don't think that I would do it ever, but we can't categorically across the board say this is horrible and no one should do it on an individual person basis. Now, that changes when we start talking about an overall company that then pushes people into intentionally or unintentionally these sorts of situations where they have to choose between things that they would rather be doing and keeping their high-pressure job. Right. That's where we think that things start to fall apart very rapidly. Right. And by things you would rather be doing, we don't mean playing instead of working. We mean spending time with your family instead of working or investing in your community instead of working. When, or going to church yeah. or being part of civic groups or being a coach on a baseball team mm-hmm. or lots of different things. Right. That that was all kind of what I had in mind when I said investing in your community. That's just a big, huge umbrella of things that aren't going to work and getting paid. There's an important thing to note that life is more than work. That's our base level winning slowly point is that life is more than work. But also a winning slowly point is that work is important and good. Mm-hmm. And so to balance those is that mysterious concept, work-life balance. (laughs) And we actually believe in that tired old phrase, we think you can do it. We don't think that means you can have it all because that's not what work-life balance means. What it means to us is that you make sacrifices, but overall you should be able to have a stable, fair job and be able to have a life that is the recipient of that job. So it's meaningless to have a super amazing high-powered job if you have no chance to actually do anything with what you're earning. Yeah. And if you have no good relationships and you have no time to spend with family and you have no time in your church or civic institutions or any of that, essentially, and, and there are large cultural structural reasons for this to which we may dedicate an entire episode or perhaps even longer stretches than that in the future more on that later but in many ways we have displaced familial and community responsibilities with work responsibilities for many parts of american civic life that is for many people the primary place where their social circles exist Uh, for many people it may be the only place where their social circles exist and Mm -hmm. beyond that 
it's one of the few places that we grant value. A lot of times we will preach the idea, and I'm saying we here not in the sense of winning slowly, but in the sense of American culture. We will preach the value of family and community and all of these things. But at the end of the day, a lot of times what we actually put value on is your job and how much money you make. And jobs, again, are good. And how much money you make can be a really good thing. Those are by no means bad. We're not anti-capitalists and we're by no means anti-work. We think these are good gifts of God to all of us and that working hard and working well is good for all of us. Where we want to push back is against the idea that that sphere should become all-consuming, that we ought to find all of our value in that, and especially against the idea that companies ought to build cultures where that is expected and where failing to do that will get you treated badly and perhaps even pushed out simply because you chose not to make work your all and everything. And so the first argument that came out of the Amazon articles was, hey, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Pick a different company. Don't come to this company. This is what we do here. And if you're going to complain, get out. There's a massive problem with that. Well, there are lots of massive problems with that. But one of them is that Amazon is one of the heroes of the tech world. This is a company that lots of places are modeling their approaches on because it's successful with customers and because it is a very profitable. Well, well it makes no. a lot of money. I was actually, I was <laughs> it actually makes a lot of money, <laughs> but it's not. Yeah, profitable it does not make of, profits because of the way they go about it. Uh, and so it's not enough merely to say you can go somewhere else. First of all, that's extraordinarily callous. Secondly, and just as importantly, Companies, as we've often said, have responsibilities socially that go beyond merely their bottom line. And one of those is, if you're a hero and a model for lots of other companies, you need to be careful the example you're setting. Right. And Amazon clearly thinks they're setting a good example. So this is where we come in and say, you're nope. not setting a good example. You are wrong. And so that's why we spent 10 minutes setting out the premises here is because it takes a lot of caveats to come beforehand for us to now say Amazon is wrong in the way that they do their corporate culture. And that doesn't mean that we're anti-capitalist or anti-technology or anti-work or anti-any of that. Given our stances on all of that, Amazon is wrong. And so people who say you can get out and you can go somewhere else that's less stress and less meaningful, <laughs> again, that word meaning comes up over and over again. I think that's wrong. I think that's inane. I think to say that if you want to work in high technology, you have to sacrifice everything means that, A, if we put high technology at the top of our culture, which it has vaulted itself there, then to say that you can only work here if you have a very rarefied set of skills, even beyond technical skills, mm -hmm. like you need a certain type of personality, you need a certain type of work ethic, you need a certain type of living situation, you need a certain type of life situation and time of your life. That is ridiculous. Yeah. That is not, that's, no, that is a model to create oligarchy and then collapse very quickly. <laughs> yeah. I think also it's worth note that a lot of this goes to another problem we have often pointed out, which is Silicon Valley and company, because Amazon is not technically a Silicon Valley company since it's in Seattle. The entire culture of the tech boom world 
dramatically overvalues high technology and its contributions to culture. Now, obviously, we think that technology matters, and we think that innovation and invention are important factors, and that they're things that bear careful consideration, and that they're valuable to our economy. I mean, we're a show that talks about technology more than almost anything else. Right. But... We do not, because of that, think that we ought to just exalt tech companies and assume that whatever Amazon working is the most important stuff in the world. No, it, it's not. I mean, just bluntly, working on things like cures for cancer and massive poverty relief and things like that are just enormously more important than whether you can ship something to someone's door with a drone. I'm sorry, it is. I, I should say I'm not sorry, because it is. And there's just enormous hubris in the tech community, and this shows up massively here. Yeah, and I think that goes to one of the points we're going to hit on later about the myopia of white-collar work and the travails therein. But I think that one of the biggest and most insidious things that we saw is people who were praising this work ethic. <laughs> That's a little baffling on <laughs> on a variety of levels. I, I saw several variants of this argument. One was, look, people get lazy and soft, and so they need somebody to whip them into shape, which I'm just going to leave that there for you to think about. Secondly, people said that, yeah, this is what our country was built on. It was hard work, and so it's hard, but that's how America got great. And it would take longer than the rest of this podcast to explain all the reasons that that is sort of true, but twisted in a very deep, deep way. And finally, people were praising the work ethic, but they were really praising the results mm -hmm. of the work ethic. And that's something that we were particularly distressed about. We saw one article in particular from First Things that was kind of baffling to us in that it seemed to be praising the way that Amazon gets its work done in relation to how churches should yeah. do their own work. Yeah. To which we just both said, no, <laughs> no, we, we had a long conversation <laughs> with one of us trying to be charitable and just, <laughs> it was really difficult. Right. We, we looked at that and just said, your head's on backwards, man. You're, you're confused. The idea that we want to just grind people out and we just want to make yeah, I mean, we just ran out of things to yeah. to say about it other than this is antithetical to a Christian view of work. And right. that's strong, but I think it's it's basically right. A Christian view of work says that work is good and valuable and we should do it very hard, that we should do it with whatever we've got to give, even if the results from our management or whatever else are bad because we're ultimately doing it to honor God and not for the praise or affirmation of the people around us. And yet, the culture and the institutional structures that Amazon has set up, even for its white-collar workers, per this article and many other responses we saw, are not things to be emulated in that regard. There are things that we want to say, no, we actually want to value working hard without making a god out of our work. Right. And I think it's easy to transpose the fact that Amazon does deliver some good services. Very good, yeah. The foibles and quibbles of AWS notwithstanding, <laughs> P 
people think Amazon does good end result work. Mm -hmm. The problem is when you have so many externalities that you have to address before you can say wholeheartedly this is a good thing. Yeah. You have to contend with at what level do the externalities become so great that I can't say in good conscience that this thing is good because everything that has come before it is bad. When do the ends no longer justify the means? And although people like to say that the ends never justify the means, the ends almost always justify the means. Like that's what doing a process means is that you do things along the way that then result in a thing. And, you know, the hard work that went in or the bad stuff that went in is vindicated by this thing at the end. Whether or not that's a good way to approach it, that's the pragmatic way and the realistic way that things get done. And so at some level, you have to say, I can no longer accept the externalities of what went in before I can say that this is a good thing coming out. You just you, you have to stop. And you can't just say, I'm going to opt out of everything <laughs> because then you wouldn't wear clothes and you wouldn't eat food and there's just so many externalities that are in the world that we have to deal with as people. But for us, for Chris and I, we hit that point where the externalities were no longer viable for us way before this white collar thing came out because of their blue collar work stance. Right. And I think it's worth note as we, as we shift to talk about that momentarily, that where that line gets drawn it is going to differ for different people, including different right. people in different circumstances. One of the things right. Stephen and I have talked off and on about about Amazon is the fact that, look, they're providing a, a really valuable service to people. And for all that we're critiquing them, they're doing some things really, really well. Being able to order just about anything and having it at your door within a day or two can be really helpful. And we have friends whose family situations are really tough because of choices they've made to invest in their communities and in the lives of people less well off than them who were desperately needy and for whom Amazon has been a sanity saver because they can just order something and have it show up when they need it. So those kinds of trade-offs might look different in one of those families than it does for my family where we don't necessarily have those needs. Mm-hmm. The question is, are you even thinking about those trade-offs? And are you even thinking about the costs that your actions have? So, for example, blue-collar workers. We mentioned this in the past as part of our reasoning for why we moved away from Amazon Web Services to host our podcast audio. Amazon has a documented history of treating its warehouse workers awfully, and this has been exposed multiple times, and every time they've made noises about fixing it and noises about improving it, and maybe they've changed contract terms here or there, but at the end of the day, it's become readily apparent that Amazon does not care. And again, Amazon is just today's beating bag. This is true of many major large corporations, and in fact, Mm -hmm. the biggest takeaway I had to the aforementioned piece praising Amazon for all of its benefits without looking at those externalities is, look, Amazon is not your friend. Amazon is not pro-family in the way that this guy thought it was, etc. Amazon's a mega corporation, And, well, it acts like a mega corporation, And almost all mega corporations, that means that it's stomping on small people along the way. And, well, that that's a problem. And that's a problem whether it's Amazon we're talking about or whether it's Nike and sweatshop workers that we're talking about. And that's part of Nike's right. history. 
Right. And so this is kind of a tough episode for me to talk about because we're putting out a lot of really strident <laughs> statements. And That's not I Stephen's not, thing. I am not the strident statement maker here of the two of us. And <laughs> What are you saying? Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and it's true. But this is hard for us because as people who have known blue-collar workers, who have been around them, who have had them in our families – that's something that's in our mind. We, we think about the people who are involved in very low-paying work. And it's even beyond the connections that we have to it that make us more aware of it. Just thinking about the, the ways that our society works, it's hard to ignore that there are a lot of people that aren't the white-collar worker that this Amazon article right. is about. Like this Amazon article, and as we said earlier, the tech sphere more broadly, is a very small part of the whole country and of the whole economy. And that's why whenever we read a, a clickbait article that has something extreme about technology, I always check to make sure where it's written from, and it's almost always San Francisco, <laughs> and then I don't believe anything, because that tiny sphere within a tiny sphere is so out of relationship with the rest of the way that the world is functioning in relation to technology, that the article is not generalizable. You can't make something from San Francisco really relate to how something in Nebraska works. Yep. And with that, it's just worth remembering that the vast majority of jobs remain jobs that aren't white collar jobs that aren't paying 100k plus every year that aren't places where you do have lots of other good options and when blue collar jobs go away in our current economic state they tend to stay gone and that's no small thing and that too has to be laid at the feet in many ways of mega corporations who are maybe making decisions in terms of their staffing and production and use of robotics and things like that that are good for customers but and this is something that comes up in discussions of globalization and so on as well. And again, we're going to talk about these things more and more in the future. But those kinds of decisions are not decisions that we should simply say, well, we can do this, therefore we must. And as consumers, we have a responsibility to start asking, wait, how was this made? Who did it cost? Let's even grant for a moment for the sake of argument that these transitions are inevitable, which I don't think is necessarily true, but assume it were. Are we going about managing the transition in a way that actually shows a higher regard for all people or merely for how quickly we can get people locked into our system? Or for shareholders whose money is rapidly evaporating as China's economy crashes today. <laughs> More on that in a moment. And we just want to say, look, even if you're Amazon and you think you're absolutely right about the future of how things get delivered, that is, by drones, not by UPS drivers, and how they get manufactured, that is, by robots, not by people working in a factory somewhere, and how they get assembled for shipping, and that's by robots and not people working in a warehouse somewhere. Assume all of those things are true. Are you along the way taking care of the people who you're putting out of work, or are you just assuming that your cause and your mission are too important? Because the honest reality is, they're not. And if you go too far without thinking about these things, then you start to end up like Jeff Bezos, who in his letter response, which he put out on a Saturday, which kind of Telling. underscores the whole, whole thing we're talking about here. But in his letter, he said, that's not the Amazon I know. 
Well, it might not be, but that's the actual Amazon. Right. So if you're so far up the chain that you can't be in touch with the blue collar workers or the white collar workers, because again, this article was about white collar workers, but the blue collar workers there have a much harder time. Mm -hmm. If you're not in touch with either of those groups and you're only in touch with the very high level of your corporation, then you're not really in touch with your corporation. And same thing with people who are buying from them. If you're not aware of the things that are going on, you're not really buying from the th company you think you're buying from. Right. You're buying from a fake company that doesn't exist and <laughs> only exists in your mind. And and we should note that there is an ethical tricky area here in that you're not as a consumer, you're not responsible to investigate every possible misstep or failure ethical breach that a company might have along the way just to do business with them right but you might be responsible when it becomes really clear that a company likes to just generally treat its workers as fungible units that can just be dropped in and out and sees them primarily as means to ends and doesn't regard their humanity as important at least in practice even if not how even if it wouldn't verbalize it that way and so while you may be able to say, look, I can't control the shape of Amazon and I can't control the shape of how the tech sector works, and that's true, you still have a, a responsibility to be interrogating those practices and more importantly, to be part of a cultural conversation, even if that's just in the context of your own community, your own right. church small group, your own Lions Club get together, your own golf group, whatever that may be, to say, hey, how do we think about these things? And how do we, you know, not necessarily boycott, but how do we make better decisions about the companies we want to support versus those that maybe are slightly more convenient or slightly less expensive, but where the human cost is much higher? And so there's a lot of options like Wayfair, that's one option. Or petitioning Amazon, that's another option. Or being a part of a life of an Amazon worker that you may know, that's another option. We're not looking at a one-size-fits-all solution here. And I think that's what we tried to get at, at the beginning, is that this is not a one-size-fits-all on an individual level. And that's the problem, is that Amazon wants to create a one-size-fits-all workplace environment where they have a very specific idea of what it means to work and that just doesn't jive with a lot of people before you go as we record it's monday august 24th and the chinese economy is in a bit of a free fall and the american economy is doing all sorts of interesting things in response it dropped substantially earlier today it stabilized midday i haven't had a chance to look in the it went last back one. down yeah it's it's in a bad spot in a lot of ways and a lot of commentators, of course, have already noted how, how closely linked these two are, that when the economy in China falls, ours goes down as well. We just want to note, yes, that's true, but intertwined is not the same. The things that happen in one are not deterministic for the other. And secondly, that while globalization is certainly more advanced now than it has been in the past, these kinds of interplay and phenomena are not new. A brief perusal of the history of the 20th century will show that global market behavior has been affecting global markets for an awfully long time. And beyond that, we have an awful lot of thoughts on globalization in general, which we alluded to a couple times in the episode. Call that a preview of the future, by which we mean maybe season, season four. <laughs> and by maybe we mean definitely. Yeah. 
Another thing is that part of the way that things get determined is that the more that you believe something is true in a speculative environment, the truer it becomes. So the more that we say China and the U.S. economies are equal in this speculative financial environment, the more it becomes true. And that's weird. So just don't say that. <laughs> the music at the beginning of the episode was It Was Gone by Orchid Mantis. Please don't use it without permission. We asked and he said yes. Thanks to Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show this month. You can find a full list of sponsors in the show notes. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge monthly at patreon.com slash winning slowly, or you can give money directly to us at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. You can follow us on Twitter or app.net at winning slowly, or subscribe to our Facebook page. Keep an eye out. We're posting things related to the stuff we talk about on a semi-regular basis. As always, Thanks for listening. Large collapses in the European or American stock market. <laughs> the stock market? The stock market. Stockyard plus stock market. Cows trading on Wall Street. <laughs> Hundred shares. Uh, they're... Uh, how far should I back up? <laughs> uh, I'm trying to even decide where to come back in because I was kind of going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, dog. I may just have to start over on the before you go, I think. Go for it. Before you go, it is Monday, August 20-something that I need to look up if I'm going to open <laughs> this way. It is the 24th. <laughs> Before you go, as we're recording, it is Monday, August 24th, and the Chinese economy is in something of a free call. <laughs> I made it so well, and now the a end is collapsing. <laughs> a stock yarket, a free call, the 20-something. This is going to be a good little Oi. set of outro stuff. Oi.